My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is fairness and justice at work with Deirdre Curran. Deirdre has been employed as a lecturer in the management discipline for over 20 years. Prior to joining NUIG, Deirdre worked as an associate lecturer for the National College of Ireland and as an independent management consultant. Deirdre's main area of teaching surrounds the employment relationship, how it is formed, how it is conducted and how it might be improved. Her work is formed by her core values of justice, equity and voice. Deirdre is actively involved in researching the lived experience of hospitality workers in Ireland with a view to highlighting issues and promoting positive change. She is also actively involved in research into workplace mediation as a dispute resolution process. She leads a national level workplace mediation research group housed within the Kennedy Institute for Conflict Intervention at Maynooth University. Deirdre is the Programme Director of the Masters in Human Resources. She represents the College of Business, Public Policy and Law as a steering committee member for the University of Sanctuary Initiative aimed at making NUIG a welcome place for refugees, asylum seekers and members of our travelling community. So dear, welcome to the, the podcast today and um, thanks for coming on. I have wonderful memories of you. I first met you when I sat beside you in the Ordon Hotel for the uh, 40th celebration of the MBA in NUI Galway. Yes. Uh, which was great. We, we had great fun that night. And then again, I we met each other when you were lecturing on my uh, master's program, that which was the mediation and conflict inter- intervention. So welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here. Yeah, and our our topic today is uh, fairness and justice in the workplace. So mm-hmm. you, can you tell me a little bit more why that's important? Because I remember distinctly when I heard you in NUI Minute, uh, you were talking about a waitress and there was a radio program made mm. about that that you were quite heavily involved in. Can you tell me a little bit about that just to get us started? Right, we could be here for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So my um, I'm an academic employed by NUI Galway and most of what I do centers around the employment relationship, uh, both my teaching and my research. And, um, you know, what's relevant about this is that most of us spend most of our lives in employment relationships. So it's something that we we embark on and we get carried away with and don't always have the time to step back and reflect on. 
So, um, so I often, you know, a lot of my teaching would be to 18 or 19 year olds who think they're going to be entrepreneurs and drive big posh cars and rule the world and uh, live happily ever after. And um, I feel a kind of a moral responsibility to point out to them some of the reality of the employment relationship. Yeah. Uh, both the good, the bad and the ugly. So for some of my modules, I start off my opening comment is bad things happen to people at work. And I say that to them and I say, I'm not saying that by way of being negative. Um, I'm saying it by way of opening your eyes to a reality that bad things happen to people at work. And it may happen to you or it may happen to someone you love. And so it's important to be aware that bad things can happen. And it's important to be aware of what you can do, what action you can take if something bad happens to you or someone you care about, or to do an analysis of why do bad things happen to people at work? You know, why, why does the employment relationship go wrong? And how can we, what can we do to make sure that the employment relationship goes as well as possible? So, I mean, I often start by saying, because these are very young people and say to them, you know, there's a lot of similarities between your personal relationships and the employment relationship. When you enter into employment, you enter into a relationship and the relationship is between you and the employer. And like any relationship, that relationship needs work. So um, fundamentally for it to work well, it needs to be a relationship of trust. They need to trust you and you need to trust them fundamentally um, you need to communicate regularly and often and as openly as possible if the relationship is going to be healthy just as you would in your private relationships Mm. fundamentally you know there'd be things that you have in common with your partner um, but things that are slightly different and hopefully in a personal relationship you've more in common than not but it's the same in an employment relationship. The employer and the employee have things that are in common and things that are not in common. And those not in common things can sometimes conflict and can lead to the development of workplace conflict. And just as in a personal relationship, conflict can arise and you have to work through that. And it's kind of an ongoing process of compromise where you give and you get and you give and you get. Um, yeah. And, you know, so it's the, it's the same principles. And I think... With students, anyway, that helps them to understand better about the employment relationship. But what I also say to them is the one difference between personal relationships for me and the employment relationship is that in the employment relationship, there's an imbalance of power. I mean, the absolute reality is the employer has more power than you. And in terms of, you know, status, you know, you're an employee of the organization. Uh, You can come and go and the employer may stay. So there's unequal status and unequal power. And I don't say that as a judgmental thing or as a critical thing. It's absolutely acceptable and it's a fact. But in your personal relationships, if it's an imbalanced power relationship and the other party has power over you all the time, you need to get yourself out of there. So it's it's a fundamental but acceptable difference. And so you know, so I say to my students, like bad things happen to me. What do I mean by bad things? Well, you know, you may you may find yourself in a situation where you're being bullied. You may find yourself in a situation where uh, you're not getting your fundamental rights at work. You may find yourself in a job that wouldn't comply with the criteria of decent work, you know, that an organization like the International Labour Organization, they've defined what uh, decent work looks like. And you may find yourself in a job that doesn't 
that doesn't meet the standard of decent work. Could you give me examples of decent work? So we'll say, for example, if I was in the workplace and I didn't think I was treating, treated fairly, yeah. what might they be? Those? So I suppose decent work is firstly freely entered into. So uh, so from an international labour standards perspective, that it's not child labour, it's not forced labour. So it's an, yeah. it's, it's an employment relationship that is freely entered into. Uh, secondly, might be that there are opportunities for you to develop as a human being within that relationship. Thirdly, that relationship provides you with the basics of, um, of your requirements for life um, and gives you a, a, an acceptable, if not a, a generous standard of living or quality of life. Yeah. Um, another thing is that there are opportunities for voice, you know, that you're that you have enough that you're not you don't go into employment and have no opportunity to speak out or you're afraid to speak out. Um, another thing might be that um, that you feel you're treated, if not equally, then equitable, equitably. And, you know, people talk about equality, uh, whereas I would prefer to use the term equity because um, treating everybody equally is not necessarily equitable if you if you see the distinction there. OK. Some people need a bit of extra help because of various circumstances and therefore Sometimes you need to exercise unequal treatment in order to level the playing field. Okay, so, so, so could you give me an example of that in the workplace where equity and equality would be at play? Hmm, so say, for example, you have somebody who has a disability. Yeah. Um, they may need special provisions in order to do their work. They may, they may need a different level of workload, you know, to mm. compensate for their disability. So that's a very simple example. Yeah. But it could be, um, you know, where you treat one gender differently than the other because historically um, one gender has benefited more from from yeah. how resources are distributed within the organization mm. or race or creed or any of the, you know, any yeah. of the things that distinguish us as human beings. So, you know, so I think. I think people, what people want or a lot of people want when they think about the employment relationship is they want to be treated with dignity and respect. And often because of the work that I do, either through research or just through people speaking to me about their own experience of work, if something happens to them, something bad happens to them at work, it's not so much the thing that upsets them. It's that they weren't treated with dignity and respect. And that can be really, really hurtful for people. Um, you know, I think people can, in an employment relationship, you can take bad news, you can take constructive criticism, you can take, um, you know, an employer saying to you, look, I'm going to have to cut your wages or I'm going to have to cut your hours. If you feel that, A, you've had a voice in that, you've been consulted to some extent, and B, it's justifiable what they're asking, people can take it. What they can't take very easily is mandated, you know, uh, things been imposed on them where they feel they have no voice and the thing is not justifiable. So so just as in fairness, I mean, for me, you know, if you were to say to me, what's what's your strongest personal core value? I would probably say justice. You know, I'm kind of justice obsessed. I don't know whether it comes yeah. from genes or socialization, but if I see injustice, 
I will climb over walls <laughs> to get to get at it. And often, as I say to people, I'm I'm way better at fighting injustice on other people's behalf than I would be on my own. Yeah. Um, but it's just a very strong thing with me is that I I I find it very hard to tolerate injustice. Mm. And in the workplace, you often see injustices, you know, yeah. and I've, you know, through my research again and through talking with people who are in employment people often experience injustice at work and that's 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 very hard to take now there are ways around it so when going back to what i said when i sometimes start my courses by saying to to the students bad things happen to you at work i then follow that up by saying but there are things you can do yeah. you know to uh, to either stop the bad thing happening or to to address it if it does happen um so um, an example might be um, you're much more likely to be able to address a situation if you go to your manager as a group than as an individual. So okay. collectivizing into a group, whether it's formally through a trade union or informally, just by getting together with a group of people, you're much more likely to, to be able to address it. I also teach them about conflict resolution and yeah. you know the basic principles of conflict resolution deal with the situation as quickly as possible, address it as close as possible to source, um, go from the informal um, and hopefully never get there, but towards the formal, uh, you know, keep it inside the organization and try and address it there, treat people with dignity and respect, respect people's confidentiality. You know, if, if you're a supervisor and somebody comes to you and says, Deirdre Curran's bullying me on the line, yeah. Uh, you have to respect both that person who has a, who has come with an allegation and the person against whom the allegation is. And you can't go to the supervisor on the other line and say, well, Jersey, you'll never guess what what's going on in line A this morning. Yeah. So there are basic principles. And again, those principles are probably informed by dignity, respect, justice, voice, you know, those those common principles okay. that you would want from any relationship you know, and, and there are fantastic employers who who inherently know this stuff yeah. and and do everything they can to to build those values and um, and ways of working into their employment. But unfortunately, there are also employments where that, you know, where, you know, where those things aren't realized. Okay. And so if I was a leader or a manager and I didn't even recognize that my workplace was um there was you know there was a lack of yes. fairness and lack of of justice yes. what's in it for for me because i might be saying listen i've my my workload is huge i don't yeah. have time for you know yeah. these silly little squabbles or yeah. little requests people are asking for and i might minimize those so yeah what might you say if i was that type of manager or leader what's in it for you is that uh, conflict of any kind in an organization has detrimental effects on people's performance which ultimately affects organizational performance would be my first argument so that's the kind of the business case the yeah. the second argument would be that ethically you have a responsibility in terms of um what do they call it on the health and safety and legislation you have a duty of care to your people yeah. so if people are suffering within your employment for me, that's an ethical issue. Um, and then the third thing argument I would make is, look, if there's something going on on the shop floor that you don't know about, say, for example, one person has been bullied by another person, you're yeah. legally responsible. 
So it's in your interest to be informed about what's going on. So I would be saying to that leader or manager, you need to be talking to your people all of the time. You know, and if it's a massive organization, you can't be doing it, but you have to make sure that your managers all the way down and back up again are equipped with the training and and experience to to be constantly creating a climate of trust and constantly communicating in an open and honest way so that nothing that arises is ever a surprise because you, you've got your finger on the pulse yeah. of of the people within your organization. And, you know, you hear people saying, our people are our best resource. Our people are our most valuable resource. And it makes me smile to hear that because there are some organizations that clearly believe it. Yeah. Because you can see the evidence. And there are some that trot it out as a mantra when they don't believe it because you can see by the evidence. Yeah. But I believe it. You know, I believe that if you buy a new piece of technology, there is a limit to what you're going to get out of that. If you buy in terms of, you know, a salary, a human being, there is almost no limit to what you can get out of that if you treat it properly and yeah. mind it properly and encourage it and yeah. nurture it and reward it and all of those things. You know, so people are absolutely, I believe, your absolute best resource and yeah. they will go to hell or high water for you if they believe yeah. that you are a leader who cares about them but they will go way the other direction in a very intelligent way if they believe you don't. Okay, so if there's a, is there's a workplace that's full of conflict, then what I'm hearing is, is it's actually a lack of leadership or management skills. There's a gap there that's allowing this conflict to emerge, plus there might be an ethical um, issue then at play. Would it be correct in saying that? There's a lot, you know, that's like, there's a lot of uh, of issues at play when you have conflict in the workplace. I mean, it could be, obviously, you've got a bunch of humans working together. You're going to have interpersonal conflicts. Mm. It could be conflict over, there's an overlap between your role and my role, and this is my territory and that's your territory, and there's an overlap in that. It could be bad management. It could be uh, scarce fighting over scarce resources. It could be a multitude of mis- miscommunication, misunderstanding. Um, someone says something, the other person takes it up the wrong way. It doesn't get handled properly. Suddenly you've World War Three on your hands when if it was addressed in the spur of the moment, you know, it would be over. So yeah. it's, it's a multitude, you know, like my belief is that the employment relationship is inherently has inherently got the potential for conflict. Uh, The key is to A, manage that conflict effectively and B, use conflict as a resource because I actually believe that if conflict is properly managed, it can lead to great things. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, in your own personal relationships, I don't know what you're like, but I'm one of seven children. And so conflict was like, was rife in our house growing up because it, it was probably competition over scarce resources. But once you get that out, you know, if you if you have a trusting environment and you encourage your people to raise grievances when they have them and to speak openly and honestly, you know, I, I remember reading once in a book that a good manager doesn't avoid conflict, but a good manager keeps all the conflict eyeball to eyeball. Mm. And I thought that was a great point, because if you push conflict below the surface or push it to the water cooler or the coffee machine, it will fester and grow. But if you yeah. say to your people, I'm your manager, but it's all right for you to tell me I'm wrong. 
if you can back that up with evidence and give me a suggestion for how I could do it better, I absolutely embrace that. But if you say to your people, I'm the manager, you do what I say, and you know, don't come whinging to me when something goes wrong, then you're going to, you can see where this is going. Yeah. And, and, and just for me then, like I'm, I'm, there's a lot of listeners here that may be leaders or managers. Yeah. And you know, you talked about communicating change and this mandating change. You know, for me, I might be in a position where I'm, you know, vulnerable. I think my options are limited, and that's why I'm, I, I'm afraid of that kind of peer pressure or group tactic that people will gang up on me so what what advice would you give to maybe leaders or managers who you know are doing that mandating piece you know because they believe this is the the, Mm. out of fear yeah so Mm. what advice would you give to people there Mm. because this is what's happening with with uh, so many changes with the pandemic now what what advice would you give yeah I mean it's a tricky one because a lot of it is down to that confidence in your own ability as a manager but also an acceptance that you're an infallible human being and that you don't actually have all the answers and that you're not even expected to have all the answers but that culture of you know of how you perform as a manager may come down from the top you know so there's a culture within organizations and if the culture is the manager is god and whatever the manager says if they say jump you say how high then that's going to lead to a particular directive style of management. Whereas if the culture within an organization is from CEO down, you know, lads, anybody in this company could have the idea that saves this business. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to open the channels for people to feel that they can speak up and voice when things are good, voice when things are bad, offer their ideas Uh, criticize us when we get it wrong, then you're going to have a completely different outcome. I mean, option number one, culture number one may may survive and thrive in the short term, but not in the long term. Yeah. Because it's back to this notion of of human beings want to be treated with dignity and respect, and they'll put up with a directive, um, toxic, negative culture for a while because, you know, either they're trapped, you know, financially or whatever, or it serves their interest in the short term. But ultimately, it's not what they want and and you lose them. And the people you lose are the good people. Yeah. So, so the thing about management fear, I mean, two couple of things come to mind there. One is when you're dealing with workplace conflict, the level of management that need the most help is the first line managers. Because yeah. that's where most conflict happens. You know, I'm working in the university. The most likely scenario is that I will conflict directly with my head of department because that yes. is the first level of management. I'm not likely to go to the president of the university and have an argy-bargy, although I have done it. <laughs> but it's less likely. The most important level is the first level of management. And so, unfortunately, that's the level that is probably the least equipped and the least trained. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, that level of management, the manager or the supervisor may have been your best friend last week. And now they're the supervisor. And so last week we were drinking together. And this week now there's a there's a management, you know, distinction between us. And that can be very hard for first levels of managers to to deal with. But the reality is that most conflict happens at the ground level of organizations. And so it's those managers 
the first level of managers that need the most support, but often get the least support. Yeah. And so you might have a CEO who says, um, you know, I want everybody to feel respected in this organization and I value the contribution of every single individual. But if you have a first line manager who is very insecure and in order to cover that insecurity says, you do what I say and you do it now or you're out of here, um, that's not filtering down, you know, because you haven't helped that person to manage within that culture. And is so it's going back to that whole thing of the, the sustainability piece, you know, for for profit and losses now on uh, people's balance sheets. It's mm. the the people profit and planet, and it's about that get, getting that balance right in terms of sustainability. Yeah, is that true. So so if you don't really value the people that you have and demonstrate that value by really engaging people or equipping people with the resources and skills, you know, this is the only way to have a sustainable business. Otherwise, they're going to you're going to lose your key people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I saw something on LinkedIn actually this morning. It was about redundancy and um, Lord help us, but we're going to have a wave of redundancies. You know, COVID-19 is going to, is going to precipitate a wave of redundancies and redundancy for HR people hasn't been a major deal for the last two decades because the economy was, was healthy and booming. Um, and so it wasn't something that HR people probably spent a lot of their time at. But now it's going to become almost a central activity of HR professionals. And I'm actually teaching redundancy at the minute. And what I try to point out to the students is the human impact of redundancy. And so redundancy is very difficult on the people who have been made redundant, but it can also be very difficult on the people who are making them redundant You know, as I said to the students, this could be a small company in a small town. You're the supervisor. You have to tell your second cousin once removed that they are no longer useful to this organization. And that can have a very traumatic effect both on the the person being made redundant, as I say, and the person making them redundant and to all of the people who are left behind. So redundancy is an interesting one because organizations when they find themselves in difficulty often go straight from not to 60 and say we need we need to drop 10% of our our manpower our human power when they don't think about what else they could be doing that might be more productive in terms of getting the outcome they want besides dropping shedding human beings and maybe shedding some of their best human beings so Redundancy, I would say, for HR people ought to be a last resort. And so what a business should do when it finds itself in difficulty is go to its people and say, lads, here's the facts. You know, here's the unwashed facts about the situation we're in. What what can we do? And you will be amazed at the creativity of human beings when it comes to saving their jobs. You know, they might say, look, we'll take a three-day week for six weeks. And and all of a sudden, you have options that you never thought were possible. Instead of saying, right, we need a wave of a John to see what we go, we'll go last in, first out, right? Get them get them in here. You know, what do we have to do legally to comply? You know, give them a week's notice or whatever it is and send them off without thinking of the impact of that on the human that you're, you're shedding or on the people who are left, or on on your organizational performance after they're gone. And that's true. There's such a residue from people carrying 
the load of other people or maybe the the most talented people you've lost you know and really really what you're referring to it's really going back to that culture of trust that culture of innovation because if you can have that culture of trust to say listen these are the unwashed facts yes what can we do yes. at least people and the power imbalance you're talking about earlier on yeah. comes back into play because at least I have some sort of autonomy over my future yes and I feel I've been heard yeah you know and I think that's what happens a lot with change projects is that people there's no consensus building or people haven't been yeah. included in any way yeah and it seems to and be I mean, like a top-down approach redundancy William you know, mm. if the employer treats you with dignity and respect and if the employer is ethical and reasonable in how they go about yeah. about it and if redundancy is the only option because we've tried everything else, people will accept that. And, and actually, yes. it will have less psychological damage on me if I know that my employer fought tooth and nail to keep me on. But ultimately, yeah. there was no option. I'll, I'll be able to recover from that much quickly. But even more importantly... The people who are left behind in the university after I've been made redundant will be looking at how the employer handled it. And they'll be saying, that was badly handled. She was badly treated. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, I'm mortified. I'm, I'm embarrassed by how, how she was treated. And therefore, it now impacts on how I view my employer. And I'm sitting here thinking, could be me next. They obviously don't give a fiddlers about any of us. It could, I yeah. could be the next wave. You know, when I've got three kids at university and suddenly my head is everywhere else except on the job. But if you do it the other way, you know, uh, the person accepts the redundancy, their colleagues accept the redundancy. You're probably going to keep the relationship open so that if you can, if you are in an opportunity to take them back, they will actually want to come back to you. Exactly. So yeah. it's really about creating that inclusive collective spirit. Yeah. And it's using a collective in a way that's not, you know, bullying senior management. It's about utilizing that huge potential yeah. resource that yeah. you're not really tapping into. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say that human beings are probably the one big undertapped resource in organizations. Mm. You know, and it's not that you you know, people assume that, oh, you know, you go for the educated people and the experienced people and the senior people. You know, I absolutely do believe that any, anybody in an organization can can have an idea that will that will transform how you do things. And so, you know, some organizations have brilliant um, creative mechanisms for tapping into that. So the, one of my favorites is there was an organization and every Friday, the chief executive would push a tea trolley around the office. Brilliant. So, right, it's a tea trolley. It's got tea and coffee and it's got lovely uh, iced buns on the trolley. And the CEO has to go around and, and serve the employees. And that psychological switch of them serving you rather than the other way around is very powerful. But mm. also the opportunity afforded by you stopping at a desk and pouring a cup of coffee and saying, do you want the pink one or the red one in terms of the buns and having a chat, you know, it's, it's brings a new kind of dynamic to giving workers a voice, you know, how's it going? How do you think we're doing? You know, why do you like working here? Simple questions like that can, can be very fruitful. Some, some organizations have something called breakfast with the CEO where every, every couple of weeks, a random, eight or nine employees are invited to the boardroom for breakfast 
And, you know, you could be a middle manager or you could be the canteen uh, person serving the food in the canteen. And suddenly you're sitting around the the board table and you actually get the sense that this guy or this woman wants to hear what you have to say. You know, all of a sudden you've been ignored half your life and all of a sudden they, they're saying, well, what do you think of of the new product line? Do you know? Yeah. And would you buy this? You know, if you were a customer, would you buy this? You know? and, and, and I've noticed that in my own experience. So I, I actually coach, I'm, I'm lucky to coach a lot of CEOs and I've been part of a lot of different leadership development programs. And I mm. notice the CEOs, their, you know, that power distance, if you want to call it yes. that, it doesn't exist where you have these thriving cultures of trust and yes. innovation. Is yeah. that, does, that hierarchy doesn't really exist. Yes. Would you agree? Yes. And you can, you know that you can go to the CEO if you happen to be in the lift with him or her and you can say, John, I was thinking about, you know, whatever. And you just whereas if it's another culture, it's like I'm not getting into the lift. I mean, I'm not like yeah. I'll, I'll do the 12 floors of stairs. I ain't getting into the lift with that guy. Yeah. You know, so I, it's, I, it's, like, funny, but it's it's yeah. in one context, you're creating a positive spiral of trust yeah. and communication and hope and belief and uh, people feeling valued in the other you're creating a negative spiral of hierarchy and distance and silence I mean there's a whole literature on employee silence why do people not speak up and it's everything from abject fear to apathy you know sure why would I say anything you know I mean I know yeah. that thing's going to explode you know but why would I say anything because you know I've been treated like a plonker for the last five years I'm hardly going to you know, offer my advice. Yeah. Um, I was watching a documentary recently on Netflix about the NASA the NASA Challenger disaster. Okay, yeah. Did, did you see that? I no, no, I did it's I, I, I it's on my, my watch list, yeah. It's brilliant in terms of teamwork. So in that case, a number of people saw, predicted that disaster. They knew what was wrong and they knew what was going to happen. But because of the culture, they they either kept silence or when they tried to speak up, they weren't heard. Mm. And it is a brilliant example of, you know, of you had the group who were determined to launch this, this vehicle and the, you know, the reputation of the country determined, you know, was resting on it and you yeah. did not want to hear any bad news. And, you know, people were silenced and, and the crew died. The end. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and that that brings me to my my point. Then is if there if if I'm a CEO, right, mm. and I'm beginning to recognise myself here that I mm. don't like listen like to listen to bad news. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm very reluctant to engage with people that yeah. are below me. You know, what yeah. advice might you give that person? Because what my insight is, maybe it's a fear of losing power or losing yeah. control or diminishing my authority could you give some sort of maybe advice and tips there because I know we're nearing the end of our podcast yeah. so yeah. I'm trying to make sure we, we finish yeah. finish on a, on a point and, where yeah. we're making a difference to the right. workplace okay so before I even go there uh, I don't think anybody's below you <laughs> yeah so exactly, one of the yeah. things I say to the students when I start teaching my modules is there are two words I, I don't like to see in any written assignments. One is superior and the other is subordinate because mm. I was brought up to feel I wasn't superior to anyone, nor was I subordinate to anyone. 
And I think if if CEOs or senior people can remember that, uh, it might it might translate into a different way of behaving. So the first thing I would say is self-knowledge, self-awareness is has got to be a really, really important part of good leadership and good management. And so any intervention that taps into their self-awareness or or builds on their self-awareness has got to be a good thing. Whether it's that you're uncomfortable communicating with interpersonal communications or that you fear that you have to have all the right answers. Um, You know, being aware of that, you know, even your style, uh, even your perspective on what employment is about or what the employment relationship is about, all of that learning and education is going to is going to serve you well. And then, you know, yourself from being a consultant is there are multiple tools and techniques and seven steps and five steps that people can learn um, how to do things differently than than they would normally normally be their pre predisposition, but if it really isn't in you, I would be delegating it to someone who I would be surrounding myself who have the compensation for the flaw that you have, yeah. um, and then between you as a team, you've got the whole you've got a whole human, <laughs> yeah, you know, with all of the bases covered. Um, rather than in what often happens is you employ clones of yourself. And so the same flaw is replicated in all of the seven people on the management team. So there's a great space for education, personal education. There's a great space for, you know, intervention from experts. Um, and, And I mean, fundamentally, it's down to are you open to knowing this stuff about, are you open? You know, the Jahari window thing? Yeah, you know about yourself and then there's the great unknown do you actually want to know that stuff yeah and to be a proper whole human being you have to go there you know you have yeah. to explore your dark sides because we all have them and accept those and you know even vocalize them to your people and say look I'm not the best communicator you know um but I I care about this change and you know I want you to tell me what you think you know there's that that really showing your own vulnerability and your own, you know, your own weakness is actually in a massive strength, as you would probably know from your from yeah. your years of experience. And it's it's funny that you mentioned that because that has been consistently a theme that has been on this podcast uh, so series so far. Yeah. Is that whole notion of vulnerability? Yeah. And a lot of people see that as a weakness, whereas yeah. I think that's where courage comes from is being able to explore the dark side or or being allowing people to give you feedback on your blind spots yeah I mean look at all the great leaders of history you know and how they they showed their vulnerability and talked about their vulnerability you know so there's lots of there's lots of out of work examples of Mm. you know that could be brought into organizations but I would say like one of the fundamental things is being open to listening to your people you know, okay. listen to them when they're complaining, listen to them when they're giving you ideas, you know, show them that you you value their voice, that you hear what they're saying, that you're not going to do everything that they ask, but that you will listen to it, hear it, respond to it and act on it where it's in the where it's in the best interests of everybody involved. I suppose yeah. if I was to give one bit of advice, that would be it. It would be about giving give voice to your people. Okay, and it goes back to that where we started off at the very start, Georgia, 
is that it's a relationship. Yes, it's true? a relationship. Yeah. And it needs work and it needs ongoing work. And when it's good, it's great. When it's bad, it's it's horrid. Yeah. Um, and when it's good, there's nothing you guys can't do together, just as in your personal relationship. But when it's not good, nothing's going to work, whether it's okay. boiling an egg or anything. Nothing's going to work properly. Yeah. So it's really about investing in the relationship. Invest. To, yeah. To get, you know, fairness and justice in the workplace. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, dear, that's all that we have time for today. You could go on forever. I th- we, I'm sure you'll come back on to the podcast again. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure. There. It's a pleasure. And if anybody out there, you know, wants to know more about what I do, I am deirdre.kern.nuigalway.ie. Uh, I can be found under the desk, uh, whether it's working from home or working in the office. Uh, and I'm always happy to engage with people, you know, to, to hear about their experience or to offer advice from the limited expertise that I have over the years so uh, absolutely open to contact and yeah it's been a pleasure thank you so much for making that offer to our listeners and thank you so much for coming onto the podcast you're welcome that's it for this episode of the workplace podcast my special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion if you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.